welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week is the continuation of Spoopy Month. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, what movie did you introduce me to today, Scott? Oh, God. Okay, so this week I introduce you to the classic Stephen King, Carrie. <gasps> Released in 1976, regarded as one of the most scary movies of all time. Uh, I don't think I agree with that, but okay. <laughs> but uh, fun fact. Oh, dear. This was one of the first Stephen King adaptations ever put to film. And it was so early on that in the initial trailer, they said, based on the book by Stephen King, and they spelled Stephen wrong. Oh, that's not nice. (laughs) But uh, yes, Carrie is based on the 1974 novel by Stephen King. It was his first book ever, and he actually went on record saying he liked the movie's ending better than his own book, which is quite interesting. Especially after how he talked about The Shining. Jeez. (laughs) True. But the movie was directed by Brian De Palma. This was his first commercially successful film. He also directed films like Scarface, Mission Impossible, and many, many much more. And this movie was written by Lawrence D. Cohen, who also wrote for two other Stephen King miniseries, most famously, the It miniseries where Tim Curry played Pennywise, iconic. <laughs> and uh, also one called Tommy Knockers. Is, is that the one with the, the scary meatball monsters that eat people at <laughs> no. the airport? No, that is the Langoliers. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Tommy Knockers is the one with aliens that take over people's bodies and they can have, they have a ray gun that makes people like vanish. It, Fun. <laughs> Sounds like Stephen King. <laughs> There's some weird ones, guys. Like, if you go into the Stephen King catalog, there are some weird fucking movies in there. Yeah, this, I think, is the third Stephen King adaptation we talked about on our show. I think first we talked about, we did a non-spoiler review of Dr. Sleep when it first came out. And then we did The Shining at some point, probably last Halloween, actually. Yes. I introduced you to that. That, it's one of the best fucking scary movies of all time, I'll have you know. Yes. But this might be a hot take, because I know some people have like mixed feelings on Dr. Sleep, but I actually like both The Shining and Dr. Sleep better than this movie. Well, yeah, I think... I like this movie, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Carrie. I also, because <laughs> I'm me, I read the book, and um, the book was good, but I also like Dr. Sleep and The Shining more. This, you know, it's like the slow build to the end. It was a slow burn. It is a very slow burn. I think there's more to digest in both Dr. Sleep and The Shining. Like, The Shining also is a slow burn till the craziness. Yeah, but, like, there's more tension, I feel like, in The Shining. Like, in this, there's tension at parts, but a lot of it is just chuffa. Like... Oh, come, John Travolta. We're going to go in the car and I'm going to call you a dumb shit for 20 minutes and then I'm going to fucking blow you in the, <laughs> in the fucking car and tell you to go to the pig farm to get some pig's blood and slaughter a pig and then we're going to 
saying that isn't enough we're then going to cut to a scene where we're driving up to the pig farm and then we're gonna cut back to you in the pig farm again while you are slaughtering said pig like we don't need <laughs> all of this shit don't get me wrong like i said it's a it, this is a good movie i just it it had some problems <laughs> yeah it, it does it has a it has a couple of slow moments but once you get to that last 35 minutes yeah i agree I agree. Once we got there, it was it was nice. The budget for this movie was a mere $1.8 million, which is a pretty fucking crazy low budget, especially with the effects that they did manage to pull off. But it made a worldwide gross of $33.8 million. So it was a big success. It's got a 93% critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's pretty widely regarded, like I said, as a, a, a kick-ass, scary movie. And I would agree that for at least part of it, it is. But part of it seems like an episode of Degrassi gone wrong. <laughs> not not even the next generation, like the original Degrassi oh. from like the 80s. I didn't know there was a difference. Oh, there is. <laughs> I just knew Drake was on it in the wheelchair. Yes, he was. He was. Poor Jimmy. Poor Jimmy didn't deserve to get shot. It's all Spinner's fault. But anyway... <laughs> it's true it was Spinner's fault he got shot you don't know Degrassi Scott okay you don't know the fucking pain that Degrassi kids endured well you know what I know Drake had a tough time in Canada he started from the bottom and now he's here this movie was nominated for two Oscars in 1977 both for lead and supporting actress respectively but both of the actresses lost to actresses from the movie Network what is Network might you ask I'll tell you. Wait, no, I won't because I still haven't seen this fucking movie. We actually discussed it way back when we did our first Rocky episode. Yes, because like Carrie, Rocky also lost some of its Oscar hopes to network. Yeah, and it's still an elusive film that we have not yet watched, but apparently is quite the shit. Yeah, maybe. I have no idea. According to the Oscars in 1977. So we'll have to look into that at some point. Oh, and one last fun fact before we get into the nitty-gritty. This movie, much like both Night of the Living Dead and Reanimator, you guessed it, has a musical. God. <laughs> That's right, except this one was actually on Broadway. Oh, damn. In the year 1988, and it is known as ahem, one of the most notable failures in Broadway history, closing after 16 previews and five regular performances. Uh, they needed the splatter zone. Again, I I did not know this existed until I looked it up. But if I can find it, I will play a song here. I can see why it went off Broadway after five performances. Anywho. Anywho. So, Frankie, what was your general opinion of this movie? Why did it take you so long to see it? This is one of those movies. It's so iconic in pop culture. Like, when you think of Carrie, you just think of Sissy Spacek, who played the titular character covered in pig's blood. Give him those bug eyes. It's very creepy and scary. And, like, you kind of get the gist of what the movie's about just from pop culture. So, like, never felt the need to watch it necessarily. But I did enjoy it. 
I just wish that there was less Degrassi and more Psycho. Because there were scenes with the mom and Carrie. I had to like kind of just cringe and look away almost. It was just like uncomfortable. And I just wish that there was kind of more of that dynamic in the movie to kind of not only add to Carrie's character, but to add to the scariness. Yeah, this movie, as much as it's classified as a horror, it's much more of a tragedy to me. Just because of the way it all kind of plays out. You know, you feel bad for Carrie. You do. Yeah, definitely. But are you ready to get into this movie? Are you ready to get into the nitty and the gritty? Sure. Okay. So we start out with volleyball. Because we're in a high school in the 70s. So we have girls with perky nipples playing volleyball. I feel like this is one of the few horror movies, at least back in the day, that pretty much all the main characters are female. There's two guys that kind of are important, but they're not like... Important, important. They're basically just tools used by the ladies in the movie. We get introduced to our main girl, Carrietta White. Carrie for short. Played by Sissy Spacek. And she is an outcast. She is this like skinny as a rail, awkward girl. And what's funny is in the book... Carrie is portrayed as a overweight, pimply girl who's also very awkward and an outcast. But when you look at Carrie, she basically has the exact opposite look. But it still works. Even though Carrie is a pretty girl, you still believe that she is awkward and outcasted because she plays that awkwardness so well. Uh, yeah, I actually found the fun fact when Sissy Spacek actually auditioned for this part... She decided not to shower for like a day or two and came in all disheveled for her audition. Oh, nice. But yeah, Sissy Spacek goes into the locker room with all the other girls. This is kind of where we get our gratuitous nudity here. Yeah, there's there's some of that in this, but I mean, it's a 70s horror movie, so what are you going to do? But th- it's weird. It's made weirder because they're supposed to be teenagers. I mean, they're seniors, so I like whatever. Some of them, I'm sure, are 18. But um, probably a lot of them aren't, or at least they're not supposed to be in canon of the movie. It's weird. But in the same breath, there are movies that do a scene like this. Like if we talk about some of like Roger Corman's work that are like, oh, the tits are out and stuff, you know. But also, just to say the other side of it, there is about a 10 minute sequence in this movie that is just focusing on all these senior student girls Doing, like, basically what equates to a workout montage with tight t-shirts on with clearly no bra and just jiggling about like like little jiggle bugs. And it's gross. It makes me uncomfy. But during this, Carrie is taking a shower and Carrie has her period for the first time. Yes. I, I was concerned with how they were going to do this. Because that's in the book, and I'm like, oh, how are they going to play this on screen where it isn't just totally repulsive and gross looking? And they did, they played it tastefully, if that makes sense. Like, because in the book, it's kind of graphic how they like describe like her blood being everywhere. And it's, I mean, as a girl, you feel uncomfortable like reading it even because you're like, oh, geez. 
even watching it on the screen, you're like, oh, man. Like, because every awkward teenage girl has kind of been in a situation akin to that, especially when they're getting their period for the first time. Not to be gross, guys. They're listening. Sorry. But, like, it's it's a thing us ladies must deal with, and it's not fun. So I, I felt for her there. But then the whole thing that happens after that is also in the book. So I was wondering how they were going to play that. And they do it just like they do in the book, extremely over the top to the point where I don't feel like anyone in their right mind would ever do this. But Carrie, because she is so repressed by her overly religious mother, right? She doesn't know what a period is. At like 17, 18 years old, she was never told what a period was, which is like horrifying to think that she she sees herself bleeding and she thinks she's dying. It's terrible to even think about. But anyway, she starts screaming and crying and the girls start not only laughing at her and making fun of her, but they pull out uh, the tampon dispenser, like all the tampons on the wall and the pads and the little dispensers. And they start throwing them at this naked girl in the shower who's bleeding everywhere and it's like um I don't think and they start screaming plug it up at her like in unison like a fucking parade and it's like are you guys sociopaths like what's wrong with you you know maybe maybe if one or two assholes did that it would be more believable but then like at least one sane human being in the room would go and get the teacher and be like um some shit is going down in here we need help but like no no one did that Well, the teacher does eventually come and get everybody to disperse. And she kind of grabs Carrie and like, you know, it's a 70s movie when a teacher can strike a student. Oh, my God. But wait, this is Mrs. Collins, right? And she's like my queen. I love her. She's played by Betty Buckley. And this was her film debut. But I found some other interesting casting that she was in uh, more recently. Scott, would you like to know who this queen is in yes. other movies? So, yeah, you've never seen The Happening, right? No, I have not seen The but Happening. But do, you know, do you know of the scene from The Happening where the old lady goes, planning to steal from me? And Mark Wahlberg's like, no, ma'am, we're not. You know yes, that? Yes. Okay, that's her. Oh, shit. The crazy lady. Plan on murdering me in my sleep. What? No. And um, she's also the shrink from Split. Oh, shit. Okay. So she's the shit and we love her. But after this movie, guess what else she did? Uh. Betty Buckley. Why else? She's the fucking MVP. She went on to star in a Broadway show. One that you are very familiar with now, Scott. Would you like to know what it is? What? What, what is it? She went on to star as... Grizabella in Cats on Broadway and she won a motherfucking Tony. That's right. Miss Collins from Carrie has a fucking Tony for Cats. This bitch is queen and I love her. Oh God. Hey, good for her. She is probably the best part of this movie. She, well, other, well, other than she's basic. Yeah. yeah. Really what she is is she's like the most decent character in the movie. Everyone in this movie, aside from Carrie and Miss Collins, is a piece of shit person. (laughs) Some of them are pieces of shit with good intentions. They're just misguided. But they're still pieces of shit. We'll get there. But everybody sucks in this movie. Miss Collins slaps Carrie to calm her down. And this is where we get the first instance of Carrie's telekinetic ability as she causes a light bulb to burst. So... Mrs. Collins takes Carrie over to the principal's office 
and is like, hey, send Carrie home. Have to send her home. She's been through a lot today. But the the principal's the fucking worst too, because he keeps calling Carrie Cassie. It's like he does it once, and Miss Collins t- corrects him, and then. Two seconds later, Carrie walks in the room and he says it again. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you, Cassie. And she's like, Carrie, like, what the fuck's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, he's not good at his job. But there's also a moment here. I don't know if you caught it. And it's very interesting. Mrs. Collins has Carrie's blood on her pants. Oh, yes. Because at one point, Carrie grabbed her and her blood got on uh, Miss Collins' pants. And the principal, there's a, they make a point to show Mr. Principal Dickhead looking at her pants and the blood on it, like very disgusted. And it's like, dude, do you have a wife? Like, you know that <laughs> this happens to people. You're in a fucking school full of teenagers. This shit happens, bro. Like, grow a fucking pair of balls. See, you could take it that way. I thought it was more like, because later on there is a line that Mrs. White does say, Oh, once a girl bleeds, boys are attracted to it like dogs. Ugh. And I'm like, that's kind of you like... You could take it that way, too. I didn't even think about that. Either way, it's gross. Yeah, it's not good. Carrie gets upset again and destroys uh, he, he, his she, ashtray. Yeah, she like telekinetically flings his ashtray off the table. <laughs> so Carrie starts walking home. And a boy on a bike who should be in school because, you know, Carrie just got let out of school early. So why is this fucking 12-year-old who rides up to Carrie going, creepy Carrie, creepy Carrie. And we get our first instance of that fucking stinger. Oh, yes. We should talk about the score in this movie. So every time Carrie does something particularly telekinetically supernatural and scary, there's this sting, which is this four note violin theme from Psycho and it's used several times in the film and the creator of that sting is Bernard Herman who was originally supposed to score this film but unfortunately he passed away before the film's completion so the film's actual composer ended up being Pino Danaggio and um I, I had questionable thoughts about the score generally in this movie. Pino Dinaggio composed movies such as uh, The Seed of Chucky, oh, shit. Uh, Joe Dante's Piranha. This score is so weird. I just, I don't know if I like the score of Carrie. It's so weird. One minute I feel like I'm watching a 70s, ironically, tampon commercial. And then one minute I feel like I'm in a horror movie. And it's just, it, the, the, the score is so very all over the place but then again the tone of the movie is kind of like that in a sense because one minute again I feel like I'm watching an episode of original Degrassi and then the next minute I feel like I'm in a horror movie so it's it's all over the place a little bit yeah I get that uh by the way it's piranha (laughs) it's not piranha it's piranha are you being serious I'm actually very serious but you say it that's the but the word is piranha no the word is piranha but the title of the movie is piranha why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just but wait, but have you seen this movie? Piranha? Piranha? You yes, seen I it? have seen And that's how they say it. What? Well, in the movie, they say, they say it both. They say it both ways in the movie. I don't understand. I don't understand, bitch. I don't understand. I don't understand, bitch. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, the score is, is interesting in this film. I wouldn't even necessarily say it's bad. Yeah, I, I get that. It, it is a little weird and it does feel a little out of place, but also a random girl having telekinetic powers in the middle of high school 
you know, is a little out of the place. But also, I do find it interesting that the the Hitchcock sting was in there too, because isn't Brian De Palma like a big Hitchcock guy? Yeah, he's a very big Hitchcock guy. Actually, uh, a lot of people do rip him a little bit because he's such a Hitchcock follower that they're like, dude, this is too much like Hitchcock. <laughs> kind of similarly to the opening theme for Reanimator, everybody's shitting on it because it's too Hitchcock. But perhaps it was just an homage to An homage to Hitchcock. But after this, we get introduced to Margaret White. And uh, she's trying to sell God. Yes, she's Carrie's mother. And she's going door to door. And she's well known in this town for being the crazy Jesus lady. And (laughs) she's going door to door trying to sell Jesus books. Apparently, from what I understand, Piper Laurie, who played this character, after she looked at the script for this movie, she decided to play her character of Margaret in a more comedic way because she thought it was just like a black comedy, which, no, but I mean, it it still works because she's over the top as fuck, and we love that. There's a scene specifically we'll get to later. Thank you. I mean, her performance, it, it makes sense why both her and Sissy Spacek were nominated for Oscars. Which also, I didn't even mention when I first talked about it, I think that's fucking so cool that they were nominated for Oscars because nowadays, horror movies don't even get in the Oscars in any capacity, let alone for actors. So that's like fucking kick ass. Yeah, it is. And there should be a lot more. But that is another argument for another day. So, Margaret comes home and gets a call from the school telling her that Carrie was sent home because Carrie had her period. And Carrie's like, Mama, why didn't you tell me? And Margaret just throws her in the closet to pray the sin away. Okay, so, oh my gosh. This was this is what I was talking about personally when I mentioned, like, at some points with the two of them, I had to, like, look away and really cringe because it was just so terrible. She's dragging Carrie by her hair, dragging her through the house and throwing her in this closet. And Sissy Spacek in this scene is just incredible. She's, it's, it all feels so obviously horrible, but also realistic. She's just screaming, but she's got so much like passion and fear and just, just sad, like all of the emotions you could possibly think of in this scream. It's just gut wrenching listening to poor Carrie scream as she gets shoved in this closet to pray to one of the creepiest looking Jesuses. Yes, and it's uh, it's set up in the crucifixion position. That will be important for later. So now we go to the next day in English class where our English professor is reading a poem out loud. Now, who gave in this poem? Why, it's our secondary male character, Tommy. Tommy Ross, played by William Cat. And Tommy is... A 70s pretty boy. Oh my god, I kept calling him Willie Ames, because if, if anyone knows who Willie Ames is, just look him up, and then look at this guy, William Cat from Carrie, and like, they look synonymous. They look like the same, like, I couldn't help it. He looked like Willie Ames to me. He looked like he belonged in the Partridge family. He is getting mocked a little by the English teacher for his poem. Well, because it's clearly plagiarized, because Tommy Ross is like a jock guy, and he doesn't seem like a bad dude. The, the teacher and the students are kind of ribbing him because it's obviously a plagiarized poem. And Carrie pipes up and says that she thinks the poem is beautiful. And um, then the ridicule turns to Carrie. Yeah, but th- the thing that stands out in the scene that kind of makes Tommy stand out as a halfway decent character is he kind of defends Carrie 
when the teacher starts making fun of her which by the way fuck you like why are you making fun of your students you dick but anyway tommy ross then pipes up and is like oh you suck so he's like a nice guy and he the thing is okay there are nice-ish people in this they're they're people that are stupid but they have decent intentions but they're still stupid we're gonna get there but i hate most of the people in this movie (laughs) frankie said that a lot while we watched them (laughs) yeah i hate tommy ross too even though he's nice and he looks kind of like a pretty boy with ramen noodles on his head i still hate him so we go to uh the next gym class and Mrs. Collins has pulled all of the offenders. Yeah, because she she excuses Carrie from gym class for like a couple weeks or something. So she takes pretty much all the rest of the girls from the gym class. And it was like, you all are pieces of shit. So <laughs> I wanted to ban you all from the prom and give you three days suspension. But the school thought that was a little too harsh. So you're just going to get a week's worth of detention but I'm running the detention. Ha ha ha. And she's like, if you choose not to show up to detention, then you will be barred from the prom. Ha ha ha. And the main cunt of the movie, Chris, who is one of the students that was kind of leading the charge against Carrie. She's like the HBIC popular cunt in the school. She's like, I'm not coming. And all the other girls are like, just fucking let's go, Chris. Like, I'm not going to miss prom. Let's just go and get this over with. And then we proceed to get the 20,000 year long detention montage of all these girls with their bare legs showing and their perky titties bursting out of their tight little shirts. And it's just basically a little intermission for the gentlemen in the audience to get their rocks off. There is one thing, though, I did want to bring up is there is graffiti all over the school mocking Carrie White. It's a very quick shot. But once Carrie kind of looks into the gym class and like walks away, there's stuff on the wall saying terrible things about her. I didn't even notice that. And it's just like it feels even worse for Carrie. Like, I get it. She's a weirdo, but. When you're writing stuff in spray paint. It's definitely over the top. Like, even the first fucking scene when we meet Carrie and the girls playing the volleyball game, someone serves it to Carrie and she misses it. And they're all, like, so mad at her. Like, she's on the fucking, like, national fucking volleyball team. Like, bitch, you were in fucking gym class. Like, fuck off. (laughs) And I'm saying this as one of those bitches that didn't do jack shit in gym class. I would just stand there and look not pretty and just try not to get hit in the head with the ball which by the way i did every year like clockwork get hit in the head with a ball even though i did nothing by so the, I, I feel for carrie and i take wait, 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 wait a second are you saying you were not pretty are you out of your goddamn mind oh, woman? okay scott relax no with that. no my point is i will not relax <laughs> my point is that like fuck those bitches because if any motherfucker came up to me in gym class is like Frankie, you didn't get that ball. You didn't get the you didn't get the fucking ball. You eat shit. I'd be like, oh, okay. I don't care. I'm not a fucking athlete. I don't fucking play volleyball, you cunt. Like, go away. Like, no one cares that much about gym class, bro. And when they do, people tend to be like, you're just a dick. So Every year. <laughs> Hit in the head. Usually with basketball, which is not soft by any stretch. <laughs> Always. Every year. <laughs> I almost waited for it. Like... <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> wow, it hasn't happened yet. This is both. <laughs> like, 
legit though. That's the sad thing. <laughs> oh god. Oh my. So as Frankie said, we have this detention. Towards the end of the detention, my the, favorite part occurs. Chris decides she's had enough. She gets out of line and is like, uh, we don't have to do this. The teacher's like, yeah, you do. And fucking Chris just turns around. It's like, blow it out. your. And then she gets scared, doesn't finish the sentence. But that doesn't stop Miss Collins from going right up to her ass and smacking her in the face, like murking that bitch. And I was like, bye, bitch. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, granted, like, Chris comes back at her is like, you could get fired for that, you bitch. And like, well, yeah, but still, you deserve it. So, like, I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh, God. But uh, Chris turns to the rest of the students who are there. and Like, she can't do this if we all stand together. And they're like, Chris, just shut the fuck up. And Chris yeah. just storms off. So, Carrie, during this time, has now gone to the library and is looking up books on telekinesis. Yeah, because she's like, something is up with me. Like, why can't I move things when I get mad? <laughs> That's not normal. And one of the other main girls who was in the plug it up scene and kind of feels bad for the way she acted is Sue. Played by Amy Irving. She's one of the other characters who is like still a stupid shit, but like she at least has good intentions. And she's dating Tommy. Yeah. And she says to Tommy, she says, Oh, honey, dear, love, can you do me a favor? Can you take Carrie White to prom? Because originally, obviously, they were going to go to prom together. But she's like, no, I want you to take Carrie White to prom. Which, okay. Her rationalization for that is she wants to kind of make things up to Carrie and do something nice for her, quote unquote. But logically if you think about it for more than like a minute it doesn't really make sense for her to do that because um i don't know about you guys listening but i personally would love to go on a pity date more than anything it's what i dream of every night when i go to bed well that's a little weird dear you're married to me i know right weird but anyway <laughs> Why would you want to... She's like, I just wanted someone to be nice to her. Why don't you be nice to her and tell her that you're sorry and then be like, maybe try to find her another date or... At one point in this movie, they mentioned like, oh, well, you can't go to the prom if you don't have a date. That's not a thing. Was that a thing in the 70s? That feels very weird. But now you're going to not go to your own senior prom and send your boyfriend to go out on a pity date with Carrie why <laughs> you know what i'm saying I, I do know what you're saying but as we say a lot of times in movies people are stupid people are stupid so the movie can happen i suppose tommy goes to ask carrie out to the prom and carrie runs away that's also like insulting to her if you think about it because like do you really think that she's going to not sense any red flags of flying when one of the most popular guys in the school goes up to her and asks her out on a date to go to prom. Do you think she's dumb? <laughs> no, she isn't because she knows because Mrs. Collins does come up to her later and they have this whole nice conversation. Yes, Mrs. Collins is very sweet to Carrie. She actually gives a shit about her, like genuinely, because... Carrie tells her, like, oh, I think they're planning something. Like, there's no way he asked me out for real. Like, that's... No. And 
in her mind the teacher knows that's true but she's still trying to like be genuine and sweet with her and she's like here i want you to look at yourself in the mirror and they have a whole sequence where they, like she takes through the mirror and shows herself pushes the hair out from her face it's like look at yourself like you're a pretty girl like you don't have to feel so badly about yourself and be like you know and it's just a sweet moment but then the next scene is her going to talk to sue and tommy and be like what the fuck are you doing to carrie what what are you guys planning which is also really sweet because she's like defending this girl because she's like haven't you guys put her through enough shit like just leave her alone like enough already she she's protective of Carrie and it makes sense. She's kind of taking on this like motherly role for Carrie. Now we cut to our main antagonist Chris with her boyfriend. His name is Billy, I think, played by John Travolta in one of his first movie roles. But fun fact, he had second billing on the movie poster because at this time he was starring on Welcome Back Cotter and then the year after this movie, he did Saturday Night Fever. And then the year after that, he did Grease. So he was hot shit at this time. Yeah. But he's only really in the movie for like five seconds. <laughs> well, it's it's so funny because we do bring this up on occasion. There are so many great actors who get their start in horror movies. Oh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, Paul Rudd, Jennifer Aniston, John Travolta. There's so many. Oh, Tom Hanks was in a horror movie really early on. What? Really? Yeah, it's it's like real. He was he's I think he's only in the movie for like maybe eight minutes. I must look this up. I think it's his first movie. I think it's a horror movie. He knows you're alone. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's very interesting. I did not know this. And then he was on an episode of The Love Boat. <laughs> what a career! How far he's come. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, John Travolta, him and Chris are out on the town. This is what I mean by like, we're just stretching out this movie. We spend so long with just these two random people that we don't really give too much shits about. The whole sequence is basically to establish that Chris is a bitch and John Travolta is like a little pussy bitch boy with uh, a big mouth, but no balls, basically. Yeah, pretty much. During their long ass sequence here in the car, driving around and stuff, they repeat multiple times they go through a whole rigmarole of like Chris calls John Travolta a stupid shit and then he's like don't call me that and then she's like well you are a stupid shit and then he smacks her and then and then he's like you're crazy and then she's like oh baby baby I love you so much let me go down on you and it happens like multiple times in the sequence like we get it like let's move on well my favorite thing is she's supposed to be blowing John Travolta Oh my god, it's so... It, that's another point where I had to cringe and look away also because it was just so gross. And There's so much moaning. <laughs> and John Travolta's doing his best, like, O-face. Uh-huh. <laughs> but she's clearly still talking. Oh my god, yeah. Like, ventriloquism at its finest. And she's bringing up while she's supposed to be sucking John Travolta off, oh, I hate Carrie White. Yeah, like, what an aphrodisiac. <laughs> She's like blowing him and getting all hot and heavy. And then she's like, I hate Carrie White. And he's like, who the fuck is Carrie White? Who's that? Gross. Oh, God. It's so fucking dumb and funny. But basically, we established then that Chris is going to get revenge on Carrie White. For what? I don't know. It's not her fucking fault. You threw tampons at her. During all of this, we do cut to Tommy going to Carrie's house and being like, I'm not going to leave until you agree to go to prom with me. Basically strong-arming Carrie to say yes. 
Carrie basically asked him, like, why is this so important to you? Why do you want me to go to prom with you so bad? And he's like, because you like my poem. And it's like, you're so full of fucking shit. <laughs> like, shut up. I mean, I get that the audience is meant to feel like they are trying to be nice to her. And, like, I think that both Tommy and Sue genuinely have good intentions. But they're not really thinking long term about how this can be harmful to this girl. Basically, like, fucking with her think about it after the prom and you have this like lovely night with Carrie which they do they have a nice night and they're very cordial and sweet with each other they kiss like it's sweet but then you've got to think about like what happens after the prom is over and you get back with your fucking girlfriend it's like weird I don't know it just gives me uncomfy feelings and then you know threesome he oh my god <laughs> the point is it's just he, it's already kind of setting up carry for a downfall i i guess i think in their mind is they expect carrie to have a good night with tommy their idea in their head is it's going to integrate carrie more with their circle and their friends and carrie might go out more and be more outgoing and i get that and that's a totally genuine nice fucking sentiment which is why i don't completely hate sue and tommy i only hate them slightly because it's just a convoluted way to do that by setting her up on a date with your boyfriend like just be nice to her and maybe like if you want to try and like get her another date you can do that that like someone that would genuinely like be cool maybe going out with her and you can go on like a double date and be in a group together and still ingratiate her in the group like there are ways to do without like fucking with her and lying to her about why you want to take her out yeah again you are correct in a real world scenario that's how this should be handled right i i get it it's just a movie i understand i'm just saying it's a little unfair to poor carrie she just wants to be a normal girl but she's got a crazy Jesus mama and she's got people that are mean to her all the time. We have to cut to a dinner scene with that crazy Jesus mama. Oh my God. And Carrie tells her she's got asked to the prom. And Margaret basically snaps at her. <laughs> like, oh no, you can't go to the prom. Boys are evil. They're sinful. Yes, when the blood comes, they start sniffing after you like dogs. And it's like, oh my God, go away. <laughs> Carrie's like, no, mom, Tommy's a nice boy. And he, he said he would come and meet you and all that good stuff. And, you know, and Margaret's having none of this to the point where she's threatening to, like, bring Carrie to the closet again. And Carrie just fucking snaps. She slams all the windows shut and it's like, I'm going, mama. You can't stop me. And Margaret turns around and is like, you got the devil and he's using his powers through you. And she's like, I'm not possessed by the devil, mom. I, I think I would know. Like, I just, I can move things with my mind. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Football's not the devil, mama. Oh, my God. Like, I literally thought about that while I was watching this scene. Like, fucking <laughs> water boy. I don't ever want you associating with little girls. Why not, Mama? Because little girls are the devil. Uh, Everything is the devil to you, Mama. <laughs> During this dinner scene, we cut back to John Travolta and Chris. All of their stuff really irritated me because it was just going on way too long. Like I said before, we got to not only do like the 20-year-long thing with the blowing Travolta in the car, then we got to move on to 
Chris directing her little puppet boys to the fucking pig farm or whatever, the slaughterhouse. And then we got to cut off to something else. Then we got to go back to them with Travolta slicing the pig and fucking what's her face standing on the sidelines like Palpatine, like, do it. Kill the pig. Do it. Let the evil flow through you. It was just so annoying. Like, fucking get to the point, lady. And it's a whole big thing about them now trying to cement this evil plan. Yes, Chris's evil plan is to not only kill a fucking innocent animal, fill a bucket with its blood, stage it over on like the the rafters over the stage in the gymnasium. But then there's a second part to her plan where she uses her little minions to rig the prom king and queen election to pull it towards Carrie and Tommy so that way Carrie can be prom queen and then they can pour pig's blood on her when she gets crowned as queen which is like first of all there are much less convoluted ways and much less animal killing ways to humiliate a person like it just feels like too much like do you have anything else to do do you do any extracurriculars perhaps maybe that will look good on a college application i don't think pouring pig's blood on innocent people will look good on a college app but that's just me well don't worry she's not going to college (laughs) she's going to hell (laughs) so now we have a montage of sorts of everyone getting ready for the prom. Oh my god, I, I got a real strong flashback to that scene in um, Not Another Teen Movie where they do like the song and dances that are getting ready for the prom. It made me think of it even more because Carrie is actually sewing her own dress like Molly Ringwald in Pretty in Pink. <laughs> yeah, she's doing that. Tommy's buying a suit with ruffles because that's a thing. Oh my god, there's like a fucking... Oh my god, I have to mention the ruffle scene, I almost forgot. <laughs> The ruffle scene, guys. Okay, so Tommy's in this suit tuxedo place with these two guys, right? We've never met before. Don't care who they are, but they're there. And they have a whole, like, five-minute-long sequence, which, when I say five minutes, it doesn't feel like it's long, but it's so fucking long, I wanted to kill myself. Like, halfway through it, I was like, oh, my God, we're still talking about the ruffles? Why are we still here? And as I said that... The fucking film started speeding up, like, through the fucking rest of the scene. Like, literally, it was like, like, the fucking movie heard me. It was like, oh, we'll speed through this for you. Don't worry. And now this was sponsored by Ruffles Chips. I just, I don't understand. Like, we're we're just stretching it out. Which is also, I mean, I haven't watched all of Stephen King's stuff, miniseries or films, but... I feel like I've heard that's like a common problem with his adaptations is like they take the material and try to stretch it out a lot of the time. Well, because I feel stretch it out. Well, because I feel like they want to be somewhat faithful to the book. A lot of these want to try and be faithful to Stephen King's stories. Mm-hmm. But when you have a book you can do shit like this. You can stretch it out. A lot of these authors well, were paid for pages. Well, also, you can stretch it out more because you can like delve more deeply into characters' psyche and their inner workings. You know what I mean? Like it's harder to do that and have it come across in a film. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, the point is Stephen King adaptations are pretty hit or miss, I think, overall. He, like there's a handful like you know the top ones again. Your Carries, your Shinings, the new It series is apparently really good. 
And then you got your bottoms with like Maximum Overdrive, the Langoliers, Tommy Knockers, Sleepwalkers. Is that the one with the cat person? Yes, that is the one with the cat people. Oh, ew. Ew. We go to the night of prom. Prom tonight. Prom tonight. And in the night of prom, Carrie's doing her makeup in the mirror. And Margaret's starting to try and, like, mess with her head. And she's like, you don't have to go. Stay with me. He's not going to come. And eventually, Tommy does pull up. And Carrie telekinetically throws her mother to the ground. And right as Carrie leaves, Margaret goes, I cannot let a witch live. Oh, boy. Foreshadowing. But we we get to the prom. And admittedly, Tommy is very sweet to carry she's a little nervous going in and he comforts her and throughout the night he's very sweet to her and genuinely friendly and nice like i i don't think all that's fake i don't it's just i just think the whole setup for this is a little sketchy but i again do think that he has decent intentions they dance together and he kisses her which i think is a little sketchy a little bit yeah a little sketchy (laughs) But she's having a great time. She has a nice little chat with Miss Collins again. She's really happy for her that she's there and having a good time. And it's all very sweet and lovely. But we all know that that's not going to last. Because this is the prom scene in Carrie, okay? I did want to mention, this is such a fucking menial detail, but it stood out to me. It's funny. The fucking song that they're playing when they walk into the prom was very, like, cute and funny and it's called the education blues and i thought it was really like a fun song if it, it, it came off very like senior year we're out of here bro like it's so cool like i just liked it it was cute yeah i think the, it's it's a cover of the original song because the, i think the original song is a blues song yeah and it's a lot slower i was trying to find that song on spotify it is not unfortunately start seeing though this evil trickery start to occur chris and john travolta are underneath the stage just guzzling beers which okay all the teachers in the school are fucking morons because chris is not allowed in the prom she didn't go to her little detention so she was barred from the prom and i don't think john travolta even goes to this school so you let do two you even fucking go- people do you even go here you don't even go here so you let two random people just walk in the fucking prom and like camp out under your stage. Like, okay, no one noticed. But they're working with Hat Girl. Oh God, Hat Girl's annoying. Okay, so her name isn't actually Hat Girl. She's basically Chris's like right hand bitch, you know? She's this blonde girl. And like most of the fucking students are blonde bitches. So we have to distinguish this particular blonde bitch by putting a red cap on her head at all times. Even at prom where she's wearing a nice dress and heels. She has to be wearing a red cap. Her name is Norma, and she's played by PJ Souls, who was also Linda in Halloween, who I believe gets, I mean, obviously she gets killed by Michael Myers, yep. but uh, <laughs> I think she was like killed after a sex scene because she's a dumb blonde in a horror movie. So obviously she gets killed with her titties out after a sex scene. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's kind of a bitch too in this movie. But it's so funny, Brian De Palma stuck to this hat thing. There's another point where she's getting her hair done, so the thing, the giant, like, circle 
ball thing for your <laughs> the giant circle ball thing. It's called the hair dryer, dear. That's oh, over it? her head. It's over her head, and she's got the hat on top of the hair dryer. Yeah, it's like her fucking security blanket. It's like fucking holding Caulfield with his little red cap. It's like, okay, <laughs> go out into the fucking rye fields, bitch. Go away. <laughs> But she's taking the votes and she gets rid of the real votes and puts the fake votes all folding for Tommy and Carrie into the ballot box, basically. Then it's time to announce the winner of Prom King and Queen. While this is going on, Sue has shown up. Sue comes into the prom and she's watching from the sideline. She's watching from the sideline. She's very happy, even though she watches as Tommy kisses Carrie. She still seems fine with everything i don't know but she notices that next to her there's like this little rope that's moving and she's like what the fuck is this and she looks up and she sees the bucket of blood standing there and she looks down she sees carrie right under it she's like oh shit yes because as i don't think i even said it but yes carrie and tommy do win prom king and queen if you oh yeah sorry they won yippee we all knew that was happening because she's got to get on the stage to have the blood poured upon her we all know what's happening next so i do give this movie a lot of credit because even though i knew what was coming and pretty much everybody at this point knows what's coming it's still like really built up the tension in this moment they have them slow motion like walking up onto the stage and sue is like she looks like she's working on her engineering degree trying to figure out where the rope is going like she's like slowly following the rope and it's like oh it goes up there and then goes down here and under the stage oh there's some shadows under the stage who could it be and meanwhile while all that's going on miss collins also looks over and sees sue there and thinks that Sue is up to something nefarious. So she grabs Sue and pulls her away just as she's looking in under the stage to see fucking Chris with the rope in her hand. So it's all very dramatic. But of course, we all know what happens. Chris pulls the rope and she pulls down the bucket of blood onto Carrie and she gets completely covered in disgusting pig's blood. And while this is happening... Miss Collins does throw Sue out of the building and lock the door so Sue can't get back in. And while Carrie is covered in blood, Chris and John Travolta also make their way outside. Yeah, they just escape. Uh, but Tommy's Tom- pissed. Tommy's like, what the fuck is this shit? He's, he's like losing his mind. And then the... the This is stupid. And this is in the book too. And I thought it was stupid. The bucket falls and hits Tommy in the head. And Tommy is dead instantly. Now, can this happen in real life? Of course, the head is a very delicate area. I'm sure if you get hit in the right spot, you can die, of course. Concussions and things. Of course. but Brain damage and things. But it just seems really odd that in this horrific horror film (laughs) about a telekinetic girl with superpowers that you kill a guy with a bucket. (laughs) I always want to take it as Tommy's just unconscious and Carrie doesn't know that he's unconscious and he's going to die in this ensuing massacre that's about to happen. So basically Carrie's looking out onto the audience covered in blood and of course our red hat girl starts the audience laughing and well, not everyone's laughing. Though. No, not everyone's laughing. But in Carrie's mind, everyone's laughing. Everyone's laughing because it does cut to Mrs. Collins and, and in like, her point of view, she sees Mrs. Collins laughing. But I think she's in such a daze that she's just... She's, she's so traumatized and she just snaps and she thinks everyone's laughing at her. 
And, and Carrie goes ballistic. Yeah, this is when Carrie becomes Carrie, if you know what I mean. She slams all the doors shut. She takes a fire hose off the wall, starts shooting people with the fire hose, yeah. including Hat Girl. Yeah, and the actress PJ Souls pretty famously got her eardrum legit blown out from the fire hose hitting her in the face. People are getting shot into tables. Yeah, it's pretty uh, gruesome. Mrs. Collins gets cut in half by a prop from the fucking prom falling and cutting her in yeah. half. And it's funny because Chris and fucking John Travolta are sitting up like on the windowsill from outside looking in like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, let's run away now. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck you caused all this, you scumbags? Uh, she electrocutes she his electrocutes ass. She electrocutes the fucking microphone because the principal's at the microphone. Like, children, calm down. Meanwhile, there's fires everywhere and shit. Everyone's screaming. And then you get that famous shot of her drenched in blood and the fire rising behind her. Yeah, it's really her eyes that do it. Oh, yes. It's like the piece that is this stunts. It's like her bug eyes are like scary as shit and like boring into your soul. Like, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. She is utterly snapped here. And she kills everybody. Yeah, she eventually leaves the school, goes out in the parking lot, and she sees Chris and John Travolta trying to drive away. Oh, no, no. They try to run her down. Oh, yeah. Well, they do that in the book, too. She flips their car, killing John Travolta and Chris. Carrie goes home, washes the blood off her body. Oh, my God. It's really, it's so sad. Even after she's killed, like, dozens and dozens of people at this fucking prom, like, you still feel bad for her. And she goes to her mother and she's like, you were right. They all laughed at me. And her mother tries to stab her in the back. Well, this is a pretty great monologue from oh, Margaret. Yeah. I should have given you to God when you were born. And I was weak and backsliding. And now the devil has come home. She holds her daughter in her arms and she's like, we're going to pray, baby. And Carrie's like, yes, mama, we're going to pray. And then she just takes a fucking butcher knife and stabs her own daughter. <laughs> and she falls down the stairs, Carrie, and proceeds to get chased around the house with a knife by her own mother. And this is one of the biggest differences between the book and the movie. In the book, Carrie simply kills her own mother by stopping her heart. But Margaret White's death in the movie is much more visually stimulating and interesting she basically crucifies her own mother oh yeah she stabs the shit out of her with a bunch of fucking knives carrie just starts throwing knives at her from all over the place and it's definitely one of the best shots in the movie when they pan back from margaret white's body after she dies which by the way her death scene is like the most uncomfortable fucking scene in the it's a really good shot when they pull away and you just see her crucified literally crucify her arms sticking out and like her head is dangling it's very visually interesting and fucked up but just her dying yeah she's in the position of the jesus we saw earlier and she's like I don't even know how else to describe it other than then she's like orgasming as she's dying. It's like, whoa, whoa. what are you doing? <laughs> like, like she's getting joy out of these multiple knives being thrown into her body. It's like, what the fuck is happening here, lady? <laughs> Stop. Carrie has a moment after her mom has died and she kind of looks at what she did and she screams and like tries to like she holds her mom in her arms. It's like a little too late for that, sweetie, but OK. And then we get to 
Carrie's death. It's also different from in the book. In the movie, Carrie telepathically collapses the house onto herself and her deceased mother as she herself dies from stab wound. In the book, it's slightly different. After Carrie kills Chris and Billy in the, in the car in the parking lot, she also got a stab wound from her mother at this point. So she's dying in the parking lot and Sue actually catches up to her and tries to help her. And they actually make peace with each other before Carrie dies. So it's kind of a nice moment between her and Sue and she kind of forgives Sue for everything that happened. But um, the death in the movie is probably more impactful because it's Carrie literally killing herself because she doesn't know I, I can understand like how she would feel that way because like what do you even do after all this like how do you move on from this <laughs> you, you don't we cut to I guess weeks later months later who the fuck knows and Sue is traumatized yes Sue is basically the only one left standing in her whole fucking school after this nightmare as I mentioned before, Stephen King very much liked the ending of the movie better than the book. In the book, it ends on a letter from this random woman talking about the case of Carrie White, the Carrie White massacre or whatever it's called. And she's like, well, I think my niece has similar telekinetic powers to her in like talking about it like in a very ominous strange way like oh could this random little girl be the next Carrie Ooh, but this ending I think is a lot better yeah so Sue kind of has a dream where she goes to where Carrie's house once stood and there's a for sale sign and written on the for sale sign is Carrie White will rot in hell and uh Sue puts flowers at the site and Carrie's hand pops out grabs Sue Sue wakes up she's freaking out and that's the end of our movie. Yeah. So that's Carrie. It is. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit despite the problems that it has. I think mostly because of Carrie as a character. You really sympathize with her. And the choices made regarding the portrayal of her character and the tension that is built up with her. As far as her kind of just having a real psychotic break basically and it's just yeah it took us a while to get there but once we really got there it was it was really great yeah that the, that ending is it's iconic it really is an iconic ending everyone knows it but even if you do know it it still shocks you every time so frankie hmm what would you rate stephen king's carry i rated it a three and a half out of five stars i have it as a four so yeah, sounds about right. Now, next week, we are on to the final week of Spoopy Month. It's very exciting, and I personally believe we've saved the best for last. Oh, yeah, the best for last. I'm going to be showing Scotty a movie that is iconic in the world of 90s childhood horror movies. Yeah, I okay. said it. And I'm not going to unsay it because it's true. Yeah, so true. So true. You haven't seen it yet, Scott, okay? <laughs> I just want you to keep an open mind and an open heart okay. to what we're about to experience together. I'll keep an open mind. Good. That's the way to be. Now, until next week, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Spox. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. 
Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. Make sure you vote for us for Best Podcast of Long Island on the Best of Long Island contest. Information in our social media. You can yes. vote once every day. Don't forget that. Please yes. vote for us many much times if you can. Please. And make sure you come back next week for our spoopy, scary, exciting movie adventure. Boo. It's another decom, guys. Get ready. Get <laughs> ready.